You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Being a coach and leading masterclasses has been something I truly enjoy doing. Imparting my experience and insights to students and watching them have those aha moments. Discovering something new about themselves or their own skills and talents. But sometimes it's good to flip that around and ask those students just starting out their career what they have learned so far and where they see not only themselves going in this career, but where the industry is going as a whole. So for the next three episodes, I'm going to be talking to young artists about what they've discovered along their own journeys. And I begin today with actor, writer, director, and producer, Alex J. Dean. In my opinion, to find your style, you have to figure out what you like. Like I grew up with George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. The hard part is how are you different from them? You know how you're the same, you know how, what you like to do that's similar, but how are you different? What makes you, you? Hello, I'm Patrick Oliver Jones, actor, singer, and host of Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, which is one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. Here, I talk with fellow creatives about the realities of a career in the performing arts. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There, you can sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter. You can find out how to support this podcast and get members-only episodes. And you'll also find special offers and resources to help you and your artistic career. All that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com. Today's guest, Alex J. Dean, is actually graduating from college this month. (laughs) I mean, boy, what a time to be starting out your career, huh? But as you listen to our conversation, I think you'll recognize that he has a pretty good head on his shoulders that will enable him to navigate these very strange and tumultuous times we're in. He started out as an actor on stage and on screen and was also co-host of the award-winning Nerd Tabulous series. Even in real life, he has embraced that nerd moniker as a fan of Star Wars, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Japanese anime. So it should come as no surprise that Alex has found a real home behind the camera as a director and writer, creating worlds and stories from his own imagination. In fact, his final thesis project for college was a horror anthology film, which he plans to release later this summer or early in the fall under his own production company, Penny Arcade Pictures. So suffice it to say, Alex loves to stay busy and immerse himself in creativity and production. But as you and I know, and as I mentioned, this is certainly a tough time to get started in the arts field. And that is where we begin our conversation today. All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining me from California. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here, Patrick. This is awesome. I imagine this has been crazy because when you when you started college, it didn't look like this. And now in your final senior no, year... It it's a completely different experience. I assume there has been frustration, obviously, but in what ways has it helped and in what ways has it just hindered studies? 
the definitional hindrance is I like to be the kind of student who likes to, you know, go up to teachers, you know, after, you know, privately and kind of ask questions that I might consider to be a little bit dumb when you're in a Zoom class and you can't really do that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm very bad at wording things in text. I like calling people. I don't like texting because I'm always trying to find a way to make sure, you know, this isn't something isn't taken the wrong way. So that's been hard for me. And the worst is kind of just having to temper expectations for classes, you know, different, like I took a music video class and I had to shoot a music video somehow in the safety of my own home, kind of <laughs> low key. Um, when originally I was planning to go like rent out a ranch and film a whole music video, but you know, with the world, the way it is, it's kind of, you gotta, you gotta temper expectations. I say. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I bet. Yeah. I, I, I'm going back to school, but it's all, it's all just like virtual classes, but it's mostly just lectures. So it's not as, uh, as necessary that I, I go out and do things or that, yeah. you know, that, that, that I need to speak to the teacher in, in one way or another or collaborate with other students, but, but still it it is weird. And I recognize that I don't learn as well, just reading and then clicking answers to an online quiz. It, Especially just, when, uh, you know, when you're in film school and a lot of it is hands-on, like, oh, of uh, course, yeah, we had a, um, when, when COVID first hit, I was taking a shooting, the multi-camera comedy class. Obviously the shooting portion of that got into a bit of trouble. Now the way we actually fix it is we did a zoom pilot for a comedy, uh, like based in, it was like, Oh, it took place during COVID. It was on zoom. So we were able to kind of like find that creative way to work around it. And I think that's kind of, the I don't want to say blessing because this is a terrible thing we're experiencing, but that kind of shows a lot of people's creativity is coming out when they're kind of, you know, as usual on film, whenever something, you know, bad happens or something goes wrong or you can't get item A, you you always end up finding some creative solution to work around it or find a new way. And you were one of those people who have embraced the term nerd. You were you were in a in a popular talk show that used that term. You were even a self-professed one when it comes to Star Wars and the different things that you do. Obviously, you, you love what you love, and, and that's part of being a nerd of this. There's theater nerds, there's Star Wars nerds, but I, I assume there's been some difficulty in embracing that term in your life. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'll say, blessed to have uh, grown up and started, you know, going to creative fields post the Marvel world. You know, I would say, you know, 2007 beforehand, it was still kind of not as cool to be a nerd. Now in this, you know, Iron Man, all this stuff, it's it's hip, it's in. I, I will say creatively, especially with school, the hardest thing is once everyone knows you're a nerd, they'll on they'll start to critique and compare everything. It's like, well, this is kind of like the first Iron Man. It's like it could be the most random thing, but they'll always kind of compare it to what you like, even if you aren't specifically emulating it. So does that put pressure on you or do you try to find different ways to describe yourself other than nerd? I, I like to use the word entertainment aficionado at this point, you know, it's <laughs> nerd, nerd is nerd, nerd is still fun to call yourself. But at this point, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like nerd is like a parasite almost. It's kind of infected every bit of the world. You know, you got books, you got comics, you got audio, like dramas, you got movies, TV shows, video games, like all these amazing forms of it. So I think that's the way I professionally uh, like to describe it. And when it comes to the um, like, like you said, the kind of, how I word it is I usually don't let it get to me. You know, when I was starting out freshman year of college and first starting writing, it kind of did, but eventually, you know, I, you got to take it as a compliment. If someone says, Oh, this is like the first Iron Man. That's a, that's a good movie. That's a really successful, well-done movie. If you're saying it's like the first Iron Man, Hey, I'll run with that all the way to the bank if I have to. 
<laughs> but I imagine, though, as you create films, as, as you're trying to kind of figure out what your voice is going to be, that, yes, there's those films to emulate, but you're also trying to carve your own path. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's definitely a challenge sometimes, especially like, for example, I am a big fan of Japanese anime. I, I grew up on it, you know, watching, turn on the TV at like two o'clock in the morning because I was an insomniac at six years old and like watching all the all the stuff that came on. That is the one that does get to me a lot is, you know, that's such a broad topic is anime, but I always get compared to that. And it kind of does become a struggle when you're trying to differentiate yourself and you kind of get compared to an umbrella. Like if you write any kind of, like when I write any kind of fight scene, uh, it automatically gets called anime style, even though I'm like, it's just words on a paper. So hmm. that is a bit of a struggle because I think it is, in my opinion, to find your style, you have to figure out what you like. You have to figure out what you you grew up with. Like I grew up with George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, you know, those kind of directors. And that's, that is where I kind of drifted my style from. The hard part is, how are you different from them? You know how you're the same. You know how, what you like to do that's similar, but how are you different? What makes you, you? And since you've been both in front of the camera and behind the camera, does that help? Or do you have to put on your actor cap or your director cap and not really mix the two when you're in those specific fields? I think uh, for me especially, it it's good to mix them. I think it is really good to mix them. And I think we're even seeing in the, like currently there's a lot more actors directing and a lot, there's a lot more directors that are acting. And I think that's good because, you know, I grew up doing acting for the longest time. So I know what it's like to sit, you know, for 12 hours, saying the same words over and over and over again, when all you're saying is, you know, can I have a large number three, please? And you have to say that like 50 times. So I can kind of connect with the actors a little bit more. You know, I get what they're going through. I'm not going to, you know tell them to keep doing the same line and I'm not going to mess with them in some way. Cause ultimately I devoted my time to a project like that uh, in front of the camera. And I know that behind the camera, I want to give them the same respect that I always got or that I wanted to get. As far as comparing the acting and directing, is there one that you feel the, the, the most creative or the, the, the most ideas come to you? I, I would say directing for sure. Directing is always the one that whenever I get in that chair, I feel at home and I feel like I can really thrive there. Acting, I always use it whenever I'm like writing characters or directing actors a little bit. But for some reason, even when I'm still using the acting part, the directing in me just, I, I feel like it just has a bit more of a tool for creativity, just for crafting a story and crafting a production itself. Is any of that have to do with, you know, I, I want to be in control. I kind of want to have the final say, this is my vision, so I, I want to lead it. I, I would say so, yeah. You know, there's always that a uh, bit of an actor where you you go into an audition and you have it a certain way and they cast you in that way. They're like, let's say I'm playing it kind of a bit passive aggressive, but then you get on set and then the director's kind of like, no, 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 you know, this is this is what I want to do. And for me, at least, I never got that. I'm like, well, I'm the, but I, I'm the actor. This is how you cast me, right? <laughs> once I got into directing, I get it. Because when you spend hours and hours and hours working on a project, writing the, per especially if you're a student, writing the permits, writing the script, going over casting, doing all this, just to get on set and to have an actor kind of go, but no, I want to do it my way. It's kind of like, you, man, I've been, I've been working on this for two months. Like, <laughs> I don't care. We're, we're saying the line this way. You know, it's kind of, you got to kind of have that, vibe with it, I guess, is the best way to say it. 
Well, no, I think that that's something that us actors, we need to be aware of is that whether it's theater, whether it's film, no matter the medium, those, the producers, the directors, they've been working on it for months. They have a team together that have crafted a particular story, a particular theme, the, the technical aspects of it. And then by the time they bring the actor in, a lot of things are kind of in place. Yes, there's still a collaborative atmosphere of creating in the moment, but there's still a lot of things that are set. And so by the time an actor joins, a lot has already been asked and answered. And so now it's time for the actor to fit into a certain type of box. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's the one thing with auditions is you don't get the full story. You you get what you're given. Sometimes they send out the full scripts, but you don't get the full script. So if you're saying a line, you know, can I have a cup of coffee? And you say it kind of like passively, there might be a reason maybe that comes after the script or comes before in the story that you need to say it a different way. But at least with me, I always try to give my actors room to collaborate on the story and to add bits to their characters because ultimately they are the people bringing them to life. You know, actors bring the characters to life. If I, I, I'm a firm believer, every part of the production is important. Without them, you couldn't make a film. Without an actor, we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have characters. So for my thesis, even I'm telling my actors, you know, hey, if you want to add like a tick, if you want to add like a quirk or add even like a certain way you say your lines, come to me and we'll talk about it and we'll see what works for the character, and what works for the story. And a lot of that is not just obviously you want the the actors to feel comfortable portraying that character. You you want it to come from them. But then there's also the technical aspect of what does it look like in that rectangle? So yeah. you're you're having to think about what is this actually going to look like once it's on film? Yeah, because, you know, if he's going to be if let's say I have an actor who is doing kind of like the shoulder kind of like turn every now and then whenever he's nervous, that could work for the tone for the cinematic you know quality we're going for. If we're shooting like a Western or an old samurai movie, you know, that kind of like a little bit that could be really good for filming a comedy or like a drama that's going to seem kind of out of place at some points or it could work. But it all comes down to, you know, like the tone, the genre and what the director's vision is. It's very interesting because on stage, I think you can drift in and out of, of, of sad moments, comedic moments. There's dramas. There's not a lot of sci-fi in theater, so, so there's that. But, but as far as those big genres, theater kind of morphs in and out. Even no matter how serious the play is, there's going to be some funny, just for an audience sake, they need those moments. For film, it seems like you can kind of dive into and really focus even with more of a, a laser point on certain genres like that. Yeah, I, you know, I started out doing theater at first for a little while. I did like a couple plays every now and then. That was something that would happen when you do the same play over and over again. Some nights you're going to have a different, you know, way you say a line and it might get a laugh, even though it's kind of supposed to other nights, you know, it was a very serious line, but sometimes it just happens. And, you know, when you're on a film set, the director can say, cut, we can do it again. You can't do that on a theater. You got to just, you got to roll with it when you're <laughs> in the audience. You can't say, you know, hey, can we all just rewind a little bit? And I think that is kind of the, I'll say the the beauty of film is you have the ability to stop, start over, or, or film it, see how you like it on camera, like what the audience is going to see, and then decide if you're going to go with it. And that's an interesting part, especially once you've filmed it and now you're in the editing stage, because on on stage, you can try it this way one night, try it another way and, and see what works. You know, as you said, an audience will laugh at something or not, depending on the night. But when it comes to the film, 
you're basically having to decide what you want the audience to feel. And so you have an actor do it one way. It's really funny. Oh, that, that's really good. And then you have another way and it's a bit more serious and somber. And So how do you decide what you ultimately want the audience to experience? For me, I, I start with, usually people would say start with a genre, you know, start with, are you doing sci-fi? I would say genre is something lately I've noticed we've, we've, we still have it, but it's kind of become more of a broad topic. You know, you have sci-fi movies that are romantic dramas, have some comedic elements, and sometimes have horror, or you have action like Marvel. Marvel is like five different genres all at once. <laughs> right. So I, I like to start with the where what's the theme of the story? You know, what is what am I trying to say with it? And what is the the journey we go on to get there? What is the character's journey? And I think that's important in kind of crafting the the direction we're going to go in the kind of different way we're going to tell that story. Because if you really want the audience, you know, if you want the audience to cry at the end, you have to figure out, okay, what are the steps I have to take, you know, visually, emotionally, acting wise, everything, even coloring, what do I have to do to get to that point? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's so important as actors, you know, in crafting that arc, where does my character begin and where do I want them to end up so that the audience loves me the audience hates me the audience feels for you know you in order to to bring that audience with you you need to figure out that that character arc as well so you as a director are doing that for the film as a whole yeah i'm i'm a big believer and especially with how i write that every character every line every bit has meaning even if it's something small because you know i don't i don't like writing characters that just come in you know just to to say a few lines and they don't have any kind of point to the story other than like a little like basically a body to fill a scene i think exposition they're just there for that (laughs) god forbid exposition exposition is a terrifying word it can be such a good word and it can be the most frightening thing that any actor has to deliver you got to sound like the neil degrasse tyson of the story basically for a little bit there but (laughs) right I, i do think it's important for every character to have an arc to go through even if it's something as simple as you know, I start the scene cocking, thinking I can win this fight, and then I end the scene dead because I lost the fight. You know, even that's a small little character arc, but that's something the actor can play. Right. Now, for you, as you come out of not only school, but into a new world of of entertainment, production styles and processes, you know, we'll be in this pandemic mode for a while and hopefully, you know, two, three, four years from now, it'll, it'll get back to some, right? We're all praying for that. But in the meantime, what feels the most daunting to you as you graduate and you look forward to what this career is going to hold for you? I, I would say it's a mix of really creativity. It's, it's thinking, you know, do I, I've had this, like I've had ideas that I've wanted to work on and to pitch outside of school as soon as I graduated. But the question is, do I, are these something we could film during COVID? Could this work? You know, could, do I even want to, do I want to pitch this now and risk it being shelved? Do I want to, you know, work on it my own? Do I want to try to deal with COVID guidelines? Because there's a lot of really, really good films and TV shows that is stuff that is coming out during COVID. But then you have, you know, those ideas that are like, oh, I want to do this kind of, you know, sci-fi action movie. Couldn't do that during COVID probably. It would, it would be really weird. And I'm, you know, getting a job, getting all that stuff out of college, that's, that's important. But I I think, you know, we're going to film school, especially be creative, you know, to be creators. And I think that's, that's the hardest part of it is just trying to figure out, do we draw the line on our creativity for the sake of doing a job or do we hold it and stay strong with it and just wait for the right moment? And when it comes to COVID, 
certainly that has changed the the process, the technical aspect of how to produce something, you know, whether you're using Zoom or can you be in person? Can you do any live shooting? But from an acting creative standpoint, I'm wondering, have you noticed it changes the way actors act a scene? Or if you've been able to do some kind of social safe distance thing with actors in the same place, does it affect how they interact with each other? What, what have you noticed? The biggest thing I've noticed is uh, is mouth acting, actually. Any kind of like smiles or smirks, because we're all, we're so used to wearing masks. We don't know, we don't, we have, we're so used to making little faces. <laughs> yeah. We don't notice what someone's saying. So I told an actor once, you know, he had this, he was supposed to be kind of sad in the scene and he had like this natural smile. And I was like, you're smiling. He's like, I didn't even notice I was doing anything. I didn't know you, I, I didn't even pay attention to it. Also, I've noticed, at least for my actors, they've kind of made better connections with each other. Maybe it's just because they haven't been doing much, but when they do come to work, they're bringing their A game. You know, I haven't seen any of my actors once, you know, have a slow day, have a bad day. And I do think that because everyone is like so, you know, strapped for work, when they do come in, when they get something, they are coming out guns blazing. They're really trying their hardest. Maybe I just got good actors, but from every actor I've seen, I, I really do think this pandemic is bringing out, like, ironically, the best in the actors. Mm, mm, that's, uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, because I know I can speak for myself. I'm not getting much chance, except for a self-tape here or there. I'm not getting much chance to exercise those muscles. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I'm... I'm trying to find whatever parts I can and whatever kind of work I can, especially I'm doing a lot of voiceover right now. That's pretty much my number one thing, especially, you know, it's a good, good time for voiceover actors, good time for just voiceover animation in general. It's a good time for that, but I I'm hoping to get in front of the camera and, you know, kind of flex the, the old acting muscles, you know, and see if, see, get back to the grind of it. Now, when it comes to that acting, None of us have done uh, much of in the last nine months, but but you've 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 kind of taken a break from it as as you direct more. Is there a moment that you think back that's like you're in that acting moment, you're in that scene, and it's like this is why I love acting. This is why I love to do this. I think it's always that weirdly, it's that moment when you get it in two takes or you get it in three takes or even when they say that's a wrap i don't know why i don't know why the it sounds bad to say the end of the production when i'm acting is my favorite but there is that kind of pride that like we've been working on this for all day two days three days four days five days and when you finally hear that's a wrap and you had that you know you had that one last good take and you felt good about it and you're in the moment and you finish it so strong and you're like we did it we did it we all we all did this you know there's something really exciting about that for everybody on the production. Maybe it's because the sound guy wants to go home or, or maybe it's because, you know, the producer's like, I don't have to spend more money or, you know, it could be the director got to see his vision and the actor really got to deliver a grade eight performance. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a particular acting moment that stands out to you? The number one that I'll always go to that just filled me with pride was when I got to work with Jonathan Winters on mm. one of his last films in the babe and the kid uh, I did not know who he was when I filmed. I was a very young child uh, and I had seen, you know, kind of some old comedy skits, but I hadn't seen him before. And my mom was like, he's a big guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I made great was I made a connection with him and I was laughing because I just treated him like a normal person and I treated him like he was just a relaxing guy. And that was probably the set that I had the most fun with and the most pride in because we were just cracking jokes. It was like the best time ever. And we had this scene 
where I knew what was coming next, like spoiler alert, my character died and I was having to form this connection with him. And we did it in just a few takes. We did it in like two or three takes. And we, we went from laughing and joking with each other to just connecting and having that moment, even though I in character did not know I was going to die, just having that scene, having that moment really sold it and was amazing. Mm. I will say there is something for whenever you're in that moment, especially on stage, you'll do performances night after night. And then there's that one night where it's like the stars align. It's like you do feel like you're in a different place with the character, with the stage. And on film, I imagine the same thing happens whenever you deliver that line in a certain way, interact, connect. And I'm sure from a director's standpoint, you you see that. You see it immediately. That was the one. Yeah, there. I mean, there's been times even in class, like I had a, an actor, he did, uh, we had a class where we had to do lines from different things, like one page scenes. And we had to direct other directors, actually, as actors who didn't really do it. I brought in a scene from a video game. It was a very sad, it was a death scene from a video game, from a Spider-Man video game. And I got the uh, the guy there, the my directing buddy, and I got him there to the moment I was kind of getting him in the zone. And I said, okay, I want you to wear the Spider-Man mask. And at the moment they say this line, take it off. And I hyped him up and I got in the moment when he filmed it, he takes it off and he's in tears. He's like in literal tears in the moment. And this is a director that we, you know, you get there. And afterwards he and I had this shared moment of like, wow, I wish we were actually shooting this for like outside of a class. Like even amongst directors, like it is really, you kind of can have that moment of like, yeah, dude, we did it. Getting back to whenever you worked with Jonathan Winters, was there a particular lesson? Was there something that you took away from working with such a experienced actor? I would say the lessons were definitely the number one was have fun on the set, you know, have fun where you can just because especially when it's like a, a kind of a dark comedy or even if it's not, you know, just because it's some that, you know, some actors are method and they want to stay serious the whole time. But ultimately, it's a long process to shoot. It is a long, long time, 12 hours, you know, days. You only get like one lunch. And especially during COVID, you don't get like really snacks at all. And you get like one good sandwich for the whole day. The important thing is to keep everyone in good spirits and to have, have fun. Like I was in that film, I had to be dead. I had to be under a blanket dead. And I had never played dead before, so I was breathing. And Jonathan Winters, right before the take goes, just goes, are you sure he's dead? Because this one's still breathing. Do we got to bring another coroner in here to like double check it? Or like, and everyone starts laughing before the take. But then we, you know, we kind of had that moment of like, I'll calm together. But then when we, you know, cameras up, boom, we were in the moment. You formed a production company with your brother. What was your impetus behind creating a production company for yourself? I've always wanted to get a production company going. I think it's everyone's kind of dream eventually at some point to get their own production company, even no matter how big or small, you know, having that name and seeing like, that's mine. <laughs> and especially with my brother, we do a lot of stuff separately, but every time now and then we come together. And I think it was good to have that kind of banner that we can either, you know, separately or, you know, filming something together can kind of unite over and unite with. And I think that's definitely a, uh, the number one reason why even the name itself was kind of penny arcade pictures, you know, calling back to old film, like where it started with the old coin machines and actually calling back to my great grandfather, who was, his name was William Penny. So it kind of all comes together as this perfect little family business we got. In the writing that you've done, do you write with that camera in mind or with that particular shot or character or 
does the story take precedent? It, it always depends. Like, for example, the feature film I wrote a proof of concept for, I had a character in that that I wrote to kind of be, I, I wouldn't call him a gag character, but kind of a joke character that I wrote him as kind of the, the Yakuza John Wick, right? This very serious guy, just to have a joke that everyone thought he was going to be the protagonist and instead you have an accountant that's like the most down on his luck guy. Everybody loved that character. I did not write him to be someone that, you know, the, the Japanese like John Wick, I didn't write him for some to be someone that everyone was going to graft onto, but they did. And I followed through on my original story plan, which was I killed him. <laughs> I, I did, you know, <laughs> I felt bad, but you know, I was like, everyone was like, I can't wait to see more of him. I'm like, yeah, it's great. But that character is someone that I actually really liked and everyone wanted more of. That's my thesis is I'm doing a film based around that character. Hmm. But it's the important distinction that I'm doing is it's not a prequel. It's not a sequel. It is just the character doing something. It's not connected and it can stand on its own. Kind of almost like a like a branching tree. You know, you have your main root and then you have a little branch to go out. And then that branch can have branches from there. I guess a film pyramid scheme, if you want to call it that. <laughs> right, right. And does your acting background and that use, uh, does that play a part in how you write or the, or the kind of things that you write about? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, sometimes you, you, I would read something as an actor and I'm like, who would speak like this? And sometimes it just, didn't seem right. And so I kind of know that and I have that background from acting. I'm like, how would I deliver this line? How would an actor take this line? How many ways could an actor take this line? That's something important to figure out because, you know, if you write something very, very open to interpretation, that, could, that line could go several different ways. Do you want it that way? Do I want it to be something open to interpretation or do I want it to have a specific emotion behind it? And it definitely helps me to make the scripts feel more real and feel like they're more important and also helps to cut out for me, at least frivolous dialogue, you know, dialogue that doesn't character build. It doesn't add anything. It just kind of is fluff. Right. And in composing those stories, I mean, you and and your, your classmates, you are the next generation of filmmakers and storytellers, and there will always be a need for entertainment, but certainly it seems like over the last year, a uh, few years, even, that the purpose of making a film or the purpose of having a TV show or creating even a song, that there's a bit more societal impact. There's a bit more meaning behind these things. Has that also crept into the work that you do? Yeah. You have to always be aware of what's going on in the world around you at, you know, in this stage, you know, we're not, and, and that's an important thing you should do with every bit of like media, every bit of writing, like, let's go back to star Wars. Star Wars was an allegory, you know, later George Lucas came out and said, yeah, it was an allegory for the Vietnam war. And we were, you know, rooting for the Viet Cong. That's what the rebels were. And the military machine of the empire was America during the Vietnam war. That wasn't, you know, something that came out of the movie because it just wasn't how, you know, movies were thought of back then. They were just thought of as fluff. But now we have so many different, very, very like amazing pieces of media, like The Handmaid's Tale. That's probably the biggest one right now that I think is great just in general as a piece of like something for society to help with feminism and just a great piece of media in general. And that's why I think, you know, if you're writing a script about any any kind of culture, any kind of event, any kind of you know minority group or any kind of community, you you need to you know look up. You need to do your research and see you know is this something that's happened before? Is this something that's going to affect people? Because even if you think no one's going to see it, or maybe you're just doing something small and that nobody's going to see the project, the people that do 
you know, you want to make sure they like it and they respect it and it is right for whatever you're doing. So then are there certain subjects? Are there certain topics that maybe you think, well, I really can't do that, but I'm going to do these other topics instead? Does it affect the kind of messages or stories that you want to tell as a filmmaker? I try to to not let anything specifically affect me, but I make sure that I don't, you know, I'm not out of my depth. For example, you know, I am a, a white male. I'm not, I don't want to, nor do I want to try to write a story about the African-American experience, especially with the current state of things, because I'm not, you know, knowledgeable on that. That's ignorant. And that's not, you know, that's not, that's, that's in pretty poor taste. That's not something I would want to do. Now, if I ever thought I had a story I wanted to tell, the first step I would go to is to go find people who are educated on that and probably get a co-writer or anyone to say, hey, I want to tell the story. Is this right? Is this knowledgeable? And is this accurate to the way it goes? You know, I look at Soul, you know, Soul that just came out a little bit ago, you know, uh, you know, the head uh, Pixar, but he also brought in, you know, an African-American like creative partner that helped really craft that film and it made it the amazing film that it is like I almost cried in soul. I, and I yeah. don't cry in a oh, lot yeah. of I was movies. tearing up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a- good. So I think like it's, it's really important. And like with my thesis, it's a kind of throwback to Japanese samurai cinema. The first thing I did was I went through and I did educated. I talked to a lot of classmates who were Japanese. I talked to a lot of people and I went through and made sure I wasn't doing anything that was incorrect or stereotypical. And I even sat down my actors as soon as I cast them, I said, Hey, I want to do this and I want to tell the story accurately. If any of you feel like something is in poor taste, racist, stereotypical, or insensitive, you come to me. I will, I'm not going to sit on a high horse. I will change it and I will make it right because that's what's important, especially when you're do some, doing something you know outside of a culture or a race that you're a part of. You need to make sure that you have people that are telling you if it's right because you need to listen to those people. Yeah. And I think that this applies no matter what kind of uh, what kind of artist you are or want to be. And it gets back to that movie you mentioned, Soul, in that on the one hand, there is that that time where you're just like you're in the zone. You're you're in that moment, you're you're kind of on another plane. And and I've certainly been there on stage. I'm sure you've been there either in front of the camera or behind the camera. And it's a wonderful place to be. But I think the movie shows that just focusing on that, just trying to to do that, because it's what I'm meant to do. It's pat. It's like this is what I have to do. Then you kind of lose sight of everything else. And I think that that is something. At least one of the lessons of soul. Have you ever felt in your life that it has become too too much of a priority or crowded out other parts of your life? It's definitely, you know, hit that. I mean, I think every creative person, especially when you're going to school for it, it can have that kind of moment of, oh my God, you know, year two, you're like, I've spent $40,000 on this. What if this isn't what I want to do? You know, you kind of, you always have that existential crisis, I'll call it. But I, I think it's important to not limit yourself to film, especially, you know, with the way the business works, you're not going to get out of school and you're not going to have like a full-time job. Probably you're not even going to probably be in your profession for a good while. And I think that's, what's kept me going is I'm not, I'm not banking on if I don't make it in film, you know, then that's the end of my life. I have other things I can do. There's other avenues. Like I've discussed possibly going to become a teacher, like teaching, you know, teaching film to to kids, you know, teaching it, like making them inspired. Like I did, it keeps doing what I'm doing, but it also is a different career path that can branch out. I've also talked about, you know, joining the military. If film doesn't work out, you know, one to pay off my loans and two to kind of 
have that backup plan. You know, I think that's important, especially with this day and age, and especially with the business of film, which is a really, it's a like a lopsided Jenga game. You never know Oof. when the tower is going to fall over or when it's going to hold for you. Yeah, I think that is a great analogy for for this industry because there are those pieces that hold it up, great, but sometimes you have to move the pieces around. And is it the right piece or the wrong piece? Yeah. Do you take you know the smaller indie film that you know has a chance? Maybe this could go to you know Sundance. You know, could this be a big like cult hit? Or do you take the big budget film that is supposed to start this franchise and has got these huge plans but could easily fall short if it doesn't go well? Yeah, I mean we're 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 all kind of it's always kind of a guessing game is what the next move is the best move. You know, COVID has definitely added to it especially cuz everyone's kind of more on edge about what risks they're going to take. I mean, even like Marvel, like we still haven't even seen Black Widow and that film has been shot and edited and I th- assume finished for the last like god it feels like what to you two year a year, two years like <laughs> right. So you have like moments like that where you could make a film right now and you could make that big budget film. It could never see the light of day for a year, two years. It could just never see the light of day ever, never come out again. Like I think a 10 Cloverfield Lane, the second like Cloverfield anthology movie. I I don't even think it was, it wasn't even originally a Cloverfield movie. They had to rewrite it to make it even like sell as an idea and add like aliens at the end to make it seem like, it would it would work and they just slap the cloverfield name on it that's kind of the business we live in is you kind of have to have that thick skin of you, whatever you send in is probably going to get changed and it's probably going to be this you know you're going to send in this nice beautiful like baby script and it's going to come out this mutated mess of something that you don't even know what it was i think that's what's so great about where you are right now you know just this beginning part of your journey in that in school you can focus your projects are your own you you do have some autonomy when it comes to that and once you get out into that quote unquote real world whatever it's going to look like whenever you graduate is that something that you're afraid of losing or are you kind of ready for that challenge i would say that the the biggest part of I would say a negative to film school actually is sometimes the class time because you know you're I was once expected to come shoot a short film they're like you have four hours of setup shoot and breakdown and I'm like okay uh, <laughs> and you want me to deliver an A level project with this I will try so there's there's little moments like that there's some rules that my school has that are specific to them that they're like well the film normal films would allow this but we don't want to allow this so it's I think it's the thing you lose with the schools, you lose the free gear, you know, the insurance, a lot of that stuff. But what you gain is a lot more freedom to do what you want. Now that doesn't mean you're going to go throw someone off a building and be like film, but it's, it's more of like that kind of knowledge of this is, you know, this is my baby. I don't have to worry about, you know, submitting, you know, going to production meetings with my, with my teachers. Are they okay with it? You know, what it, are, is the school going to allow me to use this prop weapon or do I have to now cancel that prop weapon because just the school doesn't like it? Mm. Yeah, you're, you're getting into that, that producer side because the actor, director can think creatively, can think about yep. story. But the producer has to think about how much is that, you know, is that uh, camera going to cost? How much is that prop going to cost? How much is makeup, costume? You know, all the different things that go into the financing, as well as just the technical aspects of clearing a street for this filming. You know, all all those things. So, do do you enjoy that kind of 
craziness of being a producer and all the different hats that you have to wear? I don't, I don't have a problem with being a producer or director. I have a problem with doing both at the same time. Cause it's mm. really, it's really, really hard to focus, you know, when you, when you, on the creative side of it, when you have to worry about permits, budgets, you know, what do we have these days? We can't do this location, you know, this location, uh, you know, backed out, shoot, we have to go do another location. And I think it's, it's sometimes hard to get into that groove, you know, and just kind of like let your mind focus on directing the actors when you got like 15 other things in your head going on at the same time. I think that's the biggest thing I'm excited for leaving school is finding a producer and just going, all right, this is all you, man. This is all you. I, I've got my job. You've got yours. I don't want to hear about permits. I don't want to hear about money. I just want to go and film, man. <laughs> no, I, to I totally get you. I had a, a guest on last year that was um, Charlotte Cohn, and she was a uh, an actress first, but then she got into directing and producing. And she loved each of them individually, but once she had to be an actress on stage and then after – that night's performance, then go to producing and, and worry about this poster or that marketing or whatever, or, or being a director and then having to ha be in a budget meeting. It was all these different hats. She was like, I will never do that again. Because I think it does, it does take away from one hat if you're having to wear three others. Yeah, it's... I do think producing is something that I, I'm glad that film school, like one thing my school does that is really well, is it has in your first year, you take... Uh, you take a single beginner class in every single aspect of film, acting, directing, writing, uh, electrician, like cinematography and producing. You, you learn all the aspects, not even, first of all, it's just that way, you know, you can maybe figure out if you, maybe you went in as an acting emphasis and you want to be a directing emphasis now. Maybe you suddenly feel like you have a passion for it, but it also helps that then you have a respect for it. You know, you respect what the producer goes through because you had to do that assignment and you had to, I had to break down uh, the 1980s uh, film with Harrison Ford. Uh, what was it called? Witness. Witness. Where he's yeah. an Amish guy. I have never, as the, that was the moment I knew they wanted to uh, be a producer because I turned to my teacher at one point because every time a character picks up a, something in a script, you have to mark it down as that's a prop now. And I told my teacher, he's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I swear to God, if this kid doesn't keep his hands to himself and stop touching stuff, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> And it kind of helped me when I was writing because then I'm like, all right, I don't, I want to make my producer's life easy. We're going to make this really big. He's going to pick up one prop in a scene and that's the prop we're going to stick with. We're not going to touch like five different things, but it, it did, it helps to, you know, understand what they're going through. Cause sometimes you're just like, well, you know, I've, I've got to do this shot list and I've got to do this directing, but you know, you got to understand what the producer's working through to get you to that point to be on set. And I think in film, that is particularly important for us actors, because on stage, you're in a table scene, and you can pick the glass up whenever you want to, you can, you know, if you have food on stage, you can eat when, it, you know, you're, you're in the scene, and so you're just doing it. On a film, you have to pick up the same glass, you have to cut the same piece of meat, you have to put it in your mouth at the same part of the line. It, and so there's a bit more of a choreography and a precision that goes on when you're having to film it. Oh, there was one short film, a student film I did where I had to, I was, a, I was very young and I had to eat potatoes. And the joke was, I didn't want to eat the potatoes. So I would eat them and spit them back out. Um, never, this is, this is to uh, student directors. Uh, never do this. 
uh, I they did not replace the potatoes in between shots. So I would spit oh. out the potatoes <laughs> and then eat the same one. Oh uh, I was a kid. I was being paid. I, I just went, uh, well, you know, money for me. And I just didn't think about it. But oh yeah, that was that's, that's one of those moments of like, sometimes the budget doesn't account for things. And you got to kind of figure out, like, should I really have paid for this extra light? Or maybe should I have gotten more mashed potatoes? <laughs> oh, my gosh. When my mother asks wow. me, why do I not eat mashed potatoes? I call back to that exact set. <laughs> well, you had talked about how maybe you want to teach one day. And one of the programs that you were involved with, the Looking Ahead program, which is part of the Actors Fund, it's it's a big part of bringing uh, young kids all the way up through teenagers and kind of getting them ready for a life in the arts of being a performer or, or, or whatever they want to do in this career. What was your experience with that program? It was really what helped shape me when I was younger. Like I cannot say the praises more. If you are a SAG actor uh, and you are kind of a child actor still coming up and you really have the time, I would seriously recommend contacting them. It's free. They do a lot of good leadership events and it was amazing. One of the uh, heads of it there, Chris, one of the nicest people you could ever meet. I actually found my college through them. The college came to talk about their call co- the school at this looking ahead group. And I, they, they took us all on a tour there. So I would not have found the school that I'm going to the school that made me want to go. Like, I want to go to college without that program. And I met friends that some of them, I still talk to today. And even, like I said, the, uh, the guy, Chris, he showed up at my work one day, uh, after a year or two of not speak, of not seeing him. And he was with a group. He remembered me. He came up. He gave me a hug. He said he was happy to see I was doing well. Like, didn't need to do that. Didn't need to hang out that long, but took that time to come say hi and introduce me to the new members of like the group. And, you know, even asked me if I wanted to come speak uh, about my experience in front of them. Unfortunately, you know, with the way my school is, I was like, I would love to have any sort of free time in this world. But still, it's, it is, yeah, it's really, what I think is amazing about it is they don't focus on film and they don't talk about film. And they said specifically, when we get in there, we don't talk about business. And I think that's liberating for a lot of child actors, at least for me, is that you kind of have that moment where you can be like a, in that group of like, we're all in the same boat together and we're kind of learning how to grow and be better people. They always had the film, they had some film events we would go see like movies and stuff, but it was, a, that was what I liked is that once we entered that room, we were all just, you know, a couple of kids, a couple of teenagers having fun and taking a break. And what particularly uh, lessons or, or what did you take away from that looking ahead program that you still apply to your work today? It's okay to not be the smartest person in the room. It's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to fail. I think that is the three lessons that a lot of directors, producers, writers, actors, everybody in the film business can take. You know, you don't have to act like you know every part of the script or that you understand every part of your own script or that you understand what you're directing. You know, you can you can open yourself up like like I did with my actors and say, hey, you know, if I need help, if you guys are, you know, you guys have any notes, please bring them to me. You know, same with actors, producers, like everything. I think those are three lessons in general, like don't be afraid to fail. If you mess up a take, don't act like it's the end of the world. You know, if you were acting and you, you maybe sneeze in the middle of the line, roll with it, man. You know, you, you don't got to feel like you just, you know, ruined the Oscar award winning, you know, like take right there. It's all good. You know what you did. You can do it again. 
I love that. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the main themes of this podcast is that we will fall, we will have challenges and setbacks, but yet we find a way either around it or we find a way over it or under it in, in some way. We just keep going. Thanks so much to Alex J. Dean for joining me, not only to share his own experiences behind the camera, but for also giving us a taste of what's to come as we welcome the next generation of filmmakers. And also thank you very much for listening to me and Alex in our conversation on the podcast today. If you know someone who you think would enjoy or benefit from an episode like this, then please share why I'll never make it with them. Another important way to show your support is through donations or memberships. You can find out more about that at join.whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. And music in this episode is by Vortex. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as the Young Artist series continues here on Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.